0: Hello again ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the new and improved Round the Modern Campfire podcast. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Before we get into the stories for tonight I'd like to quickly plug my Patreon. If you would like to help out by becoming a patron I now have three tiers going. Night Owls at $2, firekeeper at $5 and Librarian at $8. Please keep in mind this is in US currency. This just keeps the podcast running smoothly and lets me keep producing more content for everyone. And, obviously, there are rewards for all the tiers, like choosing the stories for the next episode, guest narrating if you would be interested in doing so, and having your name listed off at the beginning or end of the episode. You can find this podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. I am also pleased to announce this podcast now has a coffee account, so for those who don't want to commit to regular donations via Patreon – Feel free to consider throwing a few dollars my way if you've liked this podcast. The link will be in the description. Lastly, there is also the Round the Modern Campfire Facebook page, where you can get in contact with me, leave suggestions for stories, keep updated on the progress of this podcast, take part in deciding how the podcast works, or just generally chat. I'd love it if you popped in and said hi. Please also keep in mind if you like any of the stories from this episode, they are linked in the description so you can show these amazing authors the love they deserve. Anyway, with all that said and done, grab yourself a warm drink, a nice snack, and let's delve into the stories for tonight. I woke up yesterday morning in a frenzy. My heart was racing, eyes watering, stomach churning, and chest heavy, with shallow breaths. I couldn't for the life of me remember why. The dream I was having must have been intense. I never had that ability people talk about, to lucid dream. However, I have always dreamt about things happening that would come true in the near future, though mostly I would just forget about them by the time I was coherent enough to start my day, like I did yesterday morning. My routine went about as usual, smoothly enough. Coffee brewed while I brushed my teeth and raked through my hair. The clacking of puppy toenails on the tile a welcome cacophony as the scent of hazelnut wafted throughout the kitchen. Benny raced around outside as I searched for my cup. A note on the counter just above the dishwasher read, "'All put away, dear. Early meeting with Zimmerman, but I'll be home by lunch.' Wonderful. That would mean I had time to run a load of laundry and get some light housework out of the way before my husband, Jaron, got home. I vacuumed while the clothes washed and Benny got his outside time. I thought I might do a nice thing and prepare some fancy sandwiches for lunch.' so I made a mental note to grab some tomatoes from the garden on the way back in from the clothesline. Benny delighted himself in digging a hole beneath the side of our tool shed out back while he waited for me to return. His little muddy corgi feet stamped my pants legs as he happily greeted me. He bounced along with me from the sliding door to the middle of the backyard, where we hang the clothes out to dry. I had to put chicken wire around my garden, though, or the little shit would tear up my squash plants again. Lonely already, he cried pitifully for me to hurry while I picked tomatoes, and raced me back to the sliding door. Not without protest, I tailed off his paws and let him in with me. He took a nap while I cut vegetables and pan-roasted the bread for our sandwiches. I made some seasoned fries, and when I put the oil in the freezer, I remembered the grapes I brought were in the fridge. Just after I found the colander and began rinsing and destemming the rather large grapes for a light dessert. Jaren pulled into the garage. I had my hands full, but he said hello and hugged my waist, kissed my cheek, and let Benny outside before heading off to wash up. I could smell it in the garage, babe. I'm starved. I had to admit, I was also. I couldn't help myself and began to pop a grape in my mouth here and there. They were so crunchy and refreshing, like chilled marbles. I bought them on sale and thought they would be a lovely addition to a good meal on a day like this. They were a brilliant green without a trace of bee stings or blemishes, and they weren't even really dirty. I was compelled to have another and stuffed the cool, satisfying globe in my mouth. I bit into an odd grape, which alarmingly didn't split into the customary crisp chomp that a grape would on any other day, Uh, like a grape should. Instead it just deflated, and spurted out an even worse texture. My mouth was filled with a sour, acrid bile and it felt like hair was in my mouth somewhere, everywhere, just touching my tongue and the inside of my cheeks. I made a stifled and flung myself forward to spit the wretchedness from my tongue down the sink, leaning my head to the side to accept assistance from the still-running faucet, all the while my throat and uvula prickled and itched like the first sign of a cold. I happened to look down at the worst possible moment, up close and personal with my expulsion. Awful colours, the nastiest green and black, almost like some kind of slimy, hairy mud with numerous foreign unidentified white specks swirled by my face in a grotesque instant. To my horrific dismay, dear reader, a majority of them had already gone past, but I swear to God, before the last specks disappeared down the drain, they moved. They were all moving. I began to cough and splutter, scraping my tongue with my fingernails and freaking the fuck out. A hairy, stinging tickle made its way up through my nasal passages and began to spread to my cupid's bow at the worst, most violent feeling of both déjà vu and absolute dread washed over me. I was bawling by then and gasping for air between sobbing and spitting, blowing my nose and inhaling way too much water. Jared heard the commotion and ran into the kitchen, the grapes all over the floor, me halfway between waterboarding myself and hyperventilating, and shouted, What happened? What happened? bugs! Scraping and crying and choking, I wailed, threw them all (coughs) out, frantically gesturing around me with one arm while the other is tearing through my tongue and cupping more water to flush the nightmare from my mouth. He grabbed the mail from the counter, knocked over the empty garbage can and used the envelopes to sweep the grapes directly into the garbage and took it out to the curb. The water was pooling in my ear and every second felt like more and more of my face and throat was slowly being consumed by television static. Every hair being stood on end, amplifying the sensation of movement to an unbearable degree. Gagging, I reached beside me to my left where I had hung a clean dish towel this morning. I placed the towel over my face and held it with one hand like a mask as I bounded through the house to the bathroom to shower. I couldn't wait for the water to heat up. I clambered in fully clothed and stood face first under the faucet. I went from feeling entirely too much on my face to not feeling much of anything but cold until the temperature evened out. I scrubbed myself raw until all the hot water ran out and brushed my teeth four times before I could breathe normally again. In the mirror, I searched diligently for any traces of the filth and couldn't find any more, though I could still feel the you writhing atrocity when I thought about it. Jaren had eaten lunch and cleaned up the kitchen while I was preoccupied. I couldn't look at food after what I'd been through. Every little breeze or hair out of place would send a jolt through my soul, and I would panic for a moment, thinking that the intruders had returned. I didn't see, or feel, any more of them, thank God. After such a hectic afternoon ruined my day, I fell asleep last night without much difficulty. Surprisingly. What concerns me is the dream I woke up from today. The bugs were not known insects, nor were they a known species of something else, arachnid, arthropod, crustacean, and no one had heard of them. Furthermore, there had not been any record of their existence before they appeared and rudely inhabited my grapes. So there was no way to tell how harmful they would be or what they could do to a human body or whether they would perish at normal body temperature and be expelled on their own. The most troubling of all, not only had they infested my lungs and the inner recesses of my ear canal, but there was a significant likelihood of migration to my brain. I awoke this morning in a cold sweat and on the verge of tears. I have made an appointment with an ENT, and I hope to god I'm wrong this time. The Chronicles of the Graveyard Management Team. Before you ask, yes, every shift is technically a graveyard shift. Hi, my name is Clara, and I've been employed with Westwood Cemetery Management for, I think, six years now. But time flies when you're having fun, so that may not be true. The cemetery closes at 7, we ward the gates at 7.30, and our tenants start their mischief at 8.30. But most importantly, break time is at two in the morning. I like break time. It's the only time I can watch Netflix and eat my coworkers' snacks. Westwood Cemetery is owned and managed by the city of Westwood, and our leader used to be John, but he's a tenant now. When he passed the job, went to the second-in-command, his son Greg. The scariest thing about our cemetery is that Greg smells like old meatloaf. Seriously. When Greg trained me for the night shift, I brought along air fresheners. If it was going to smell like meatloaf, it was going to smell like a beautiful flower forest that blooms the rare and exquisite meatloaf lily. It was still gross, and I swear I smell meatloaf in my dreams. However, Greg is still my boss, and I respect him. I hope he doesn't find this. Our cemetery is a great place. Here you can bury your mum, dad, that hoe that's sleeping with your husband, cell phone, rabbit, and grandma. What they do after they're in the ground is up to them. For some reason, things just don't stay down. I don't know why. I'll ask Greg's dad when I see him. Right now, there's eight of us who try to make things go as smoothly as possible, and there's a rule that two people have to work a shift. You cannot be alone, no matter what. My buddy used to be Ben, but the boss found out that we spent most of our nights playing card games with old man Edwin. I instead got paired up with Charlotte, who is great with the Horde of Karens. We work night shift for a month, then switch to days. Days are boring, just people mourning their loved ones and kids playing hide-and-seek. Night is where it gets exciting. We get trained for night shifts for three months with Greg before we're paired up with someone else. This includes a week of studying before you can even attempt a night shift. They said we had to do this because of something about the turnover? I'm not sure. Anyways, we learn how to keep ourselves and everything else out of trouble. My favourite moment from my time was when I found out we were bamboozled by one of the richest families in our city. The Wedding family has lived in Westwood ever since Westwood was founded. Recently, the youngest daughter passed away and she was to be buried that day and I was scheduled to work the 7pm to 7am shift. Ben and Ruby worked that morning and were both waiting by the door at 7. Charlotte and I got there at close to the same time and pulled the file for the new tenant. Remy Wenning passed away from a severe asthma attack after she sprayed too much perfume. She was only 19 years old. A shame, really. I hope the perfume at least smelled good. Charlotte and I set about drawing sigils on the ground to keep everything in and keep people out. We set out four protective totems in the four corners and chained the gates with the special engraved chains and locks. We were effectively locked in and everyone locked out. Even if they tried to get in, their mind would wander to something that was suddenly more important. Remy didn't seem to have died a violent death, so we were hoping she would stay down. Usually a violent death or special circumstances cause our tenants to come back and cause some mischief. Except the children. They just like to hang around to mess with people. Regardless, I set out with the salt to draw a salt circle to keep her in if she did come back as an angry spirit. Maybe she really hated that bottle and she wants to smash it. I set a camera to point at the grave and moved some of the flowers so we could have a clear shot if anything happened. Charlotte and I hid in the little office we have set up. It was blessed by every spiritual person we could find, and in the years it's been there, nothing bad has gotten inside. Greg's dad somehow finds a way in, but he was always too stubborn to follow the rules. He won't tell us how. I suspect one day his loophole will lead me into a life-changing journey. I'm totally kidding, universe. Please don't take me seriously. Charlotte and I sat in the office and waited for any signs of trouble. The children were distracted by some enchanted dominoes we left out. It sounded like there was a dance party in one of the tombs, and the weeping widow was distracted by her reflection in a shattered mirror somewhere and throughout. I was about to go and speak to Mr. Risel when Charlotte got my attention. Hey, um, Clara, you should come see this. I think something funny happened. Crap. Was Remy angry? Did she want to get revenge on a perfume bottle? Maybe it did smell really bad. Hey lot, what's wrong? Yeah, um, that's not Remy. That doesn't look like anyone I know. She was right. Trapped in the circle and very upsetty spaghetti was a woman much older than Remy. We let spirits stay if we either can't get rid of them or if they mean no harm. If they're not showing their death mark, they can stay. However, this woman was clearly showing her death mark. She had a slit across her throat and multiple stab wounds in her torso. She was hitting the invisible barrier that the salt creates around a vengeful spirit. Boy, was it going to be a long night. I gathered the salt gun, a flashlight, and some holy water in a spray bottle, a.k.a. no-no spray. Thankfully, the Wenning family plot wasn't far. The moment the vengeful spirit saw me, she started saying words that would make a sailor blush. Excuse me, yeah, yes, if you would stop for a moment, I would be more than happy to help you. She looked at me like any wild animal would. Let me out. I have something to take care of. This poor woman went through hell before she died. Now that I was closer, I could see that her hands had bruises, like she was bound together, and there was a deep bruise around her neck, like she had been strangled. I tried to sound as sympathetic as I could while she was still trying to fight the salt circle. I figured if she tired herself out, I could force her to listen to me. I turned to walk away and go back to my gummy bears when she stopped fighting. Please, please don't leave. I can't be on my own anymore. I I just don't understand. Finally, I could get a word in. I turned around to see all the marks gone and the woman calmed. I figured now I could figure out what happened. Hi there, my name's Clara. Do you mind telling me what happened? I know it may be painful, but I'd like to help you. She sunk down and sat on the ground. My name's Amara Hayes. I live on the streets of Haynesville. I work as one of Miss Melly's ladies. Mr. Wenning offered me money to come with him and I took it. His wife walked in on us. She screamed at him and he told her I drugged him and forced myself on him. The last thing I remember is the man choking me and his wife pulling a dagger from the table. Everyone knows about Miss Melly's classy ladies orphans or runaways who have nowhere else to go. A woman named Melissa finds them and brings them to her house one town over. She feeds them, listens to their stories, then offers to let them stay with her for a small fee. You just have to work for her. Most women know the deal, and most women take it. Something about her just seems trustworthy. She brands her girls in the bottom of their right foot, and they work for her until they run away or disappear. It's not uncommon to find her ladies disposed of somewhere. The police have been on to Miss Melissa for years. I'm so sorry that happened to you. But you need to find a way to let it go. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. R- wrong thing to say. Amara looked back up and I could see the marks starting to come back. In a moment they were back and that wild animal look was back in her eyes. She seemed to not look one hundred percent human anymore. Let it go I screamed. I trusted that pig. I helped him, and look what happened to me. Look at me! She started beating on the barrier again. I sprayed her with the no-no spray, which only made her angry at me, too. At this point, I had a few options. I could wait for the sun to force her to disappear while I told the police what happened, and hopefully that would be enough to send her packing. I could just continuously salt-circle her and keep her here. I could kill the Wennings, but that would be too much cardio. Or I could force her soul to move on. I like the last idea. I gave Charlotte a call to bring the supplies and smear plugs. While I kept spraying her with the holy water, Charlotte got to work setting up a thicker circle and drawing a few sigils in the dirt. She set up a candle right on the edge of the circle and proceeded to light it. No, it wasn't a candle blessed from the church. It was a Bath and Body Works chocolate lava cake. It was a three-wick, if it makes it any nicer. Charlotte made sure we both had a bundle of sage and proceeded to light them. After putting our earplugs in, we joined hands and started to ask whatever god would listen to please take this spirit and send them to the afterlife. Everything in the cemetery seemed to stand still once we started. There was no breeze. There were no shadows. We couldn't hear any animals scurrying. Nothing. We knew someone was listening and ready to step in. We held our sage high as Amara started to screech. Great wise one, the one who listens the one with the answers. We have for you another lost soul to claim. Please guide them to their next destination. Let them find peace. Amara started to glow as orbs started to surround her. These are the orbs of the souls who have come to guide her to her next destination. I don't know where they go. Maybe Vegas. Everything seems to go to Vegas. Slowly, Amara seemed to calm down. There was no more fighting. Her eyes cleared up, her marks gone. With one last look to both of us, she seemed to explode into a million shards of light. This happens sometimes. Sometimes they sink into the ground, sometimes they curl into a ball and just keep getting smaller. It's usually different. The light seemed to race towards the sky and the stars seemed to be a little brighter. The candle burned out and the cemetery seemed to get its natural groove back. We could hear the lost children singing and the widow weeping. We gathered the supplies and headed back to the safety of the office. I filled Charlotte in on what had happened. The rest of the shift went pretty uneventful except for the fact that uh, the lost children decided to see who could climb the quickest to the top of the oak tree. The tree tried to see which child it could fling the farthest. Once it was a little brighter out and everything started to be peaceful, I called the sheriff's office to fill them in on what happened. Believe it or not, we call them pretty often. One of the detectives is a close friend and I happened to have his personal number. I dialed it up and gave him a call. A sleepy, familiar voice picked up the phone. Clara, it's 6.30. Why are you calling me? Uh, because it's your job as my brother. And because I'm calling for official police business. What do you want? Well, Detective Stealing, I have a story for you. I told him everything that happened with Amara. How it was the weddings, that she was working and that she was taken care of but I'd like to know what actually happened to Remy. He seemed to be more awake now. I'll see what I can find out, but you know the Wennings will cover this all up, even if they did have to murder their own flesh and blood. I know, but Amaro deserves disclosure. I need to know what happened. Okay, I'll call around. Be careful, don't poke around where you don't belong. Yeah, yeah, love you. Don't forget family dinner Friday. Love you too, sis. By the time I hung up the phone, the morning crew had unlocked the gate and was pulling up. Luckily, it was Greg, so I wouldn't have to write a report on what happened last night. I filled him in on what happened with the Wenning family. He didn't seem shocked. That family has always been corrupt. About that time, Jacob pulled up, officially relieving me and Charlotte. The boys set out to open the cemetery, and we set out to take a nap. Also, I never finished my gummy bears. That's probably the creepiest part of this story.